Beautiful song there. And uh, just a, one quick uh, announcement uh, for those of you who have teenagers. Tomorrow, uh, of course, is youth conference. We'll be going to Grandview for youth conference. We'll be leaving the church at 430. So uh, make sure uh, you have your teenager here at 430. I think there's 19 teens going tomorrow. So that looks uh, excited about that. Uh, but 430, then we'll be returning around 1030 in the evening. Some of you still need to fill out and sign a permission slip for your young person. If you'll just go by the, uh, the counter out in the lobby, as soon as the service is over, just to check to make sure you have one on file for your, uh, for your teen uh, for tomorrow. And if not, if you'll get one filled out so they have that when they come tomorrow, uh, 4.30 tomorrow. And then also on Tuesday, we'll be leaving at 8.30 in the morning. I'm sure your teenager will remember to tell you that. Uh, but in case they didn't, I thought I would remind you about it. Our Bible reading today, uh, if you'll, uh, the Bible there in the front, in the uh, chair back in front of you, it'll also be on the screen. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 14, verses 26 through 28. That's Matthew 14, verse 26 through 28. Those who are able, if you'll stand at this time, I'll read as you follow along. Matthew chapter 14 and verses 26 through 28. The Bible says, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for uh, today. I thank you for the opportunity we have to come and All right, thank you for that. I did uh, want to mention one more thing that I had failed to do so in uh, terms of our announcements, and that is last week we had a, a real quick meeting down here right after the service regarding our Israel trip uh, next spring, Israel, uh, in 2020. And uh, I think we had about 17 whose names were, were written down. But if you are interested at all, have any questions about it, I'm going to meet again right here, right after the morning service, just in case... There were some that were not able to make it, and uh, we'll share just a few uh, quick thoughts about that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask for your help, your favor, your guidance, and your direction in all that we do this morning. May it uh, please you. And Lord, would you please help us today? Help somebody, uh, Lord, who's very, very needy of it today. And I pray you'd encourage our hearts, you'd strengthen us, and Lord, you'd uh, Lord, just do what only you can. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For the last few weeks, we have been speaking on what are your spiritual giants in the morning service. And uh, in the evening service, we have been speaking on fear, faith, and God. And uh, this week, um, uh, and I have never done this before, but I have felt very led to flip-flop. And so this morning, we are doing tonight's message. That doesn't mean you don't have to come back tonight. It just means that tonight's message will be different. Uh, this series, uh, really, I, I've had a number of people comment about it, and um, I, I just I, I felt very led, uh, especially we, we had a chance to get away for a couple of days, but I I've, was thinking and praying about it, what to do, what direction to go, and felt very, very strongly so this way, fear, faith, and God. Fear is something everybody faces. It doesn't matter who you are. 
you're not immune to it. I love the passage that Andy led us in reading. It's on the screen there in front of you. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. The greatest people that ever lived on the planet, the ones who would undoubtedly had the most faith in God, were fearful. And so you're not alone. If you think, well, I'm worried about this, I don't care what it is, whether it's your finances, whether it's your past, whether it's your, the unknown, whether it's relationships, whether it's your health, whether it's retirement, doesn't matter what it is, whether it's the state of the world, the economy, I don't, I don't care. And I don't mean that to sound insensitive. I'm just saying people fear. It's just part of life. And it doesn't matter how much we, well, you don't need to, you don't need to be afraid. Do you realize how many times the Lord said it? Scores and scores of times in the Bible, be not afraid. Uh, but it didn't matter. I mean, the one that he's talking to here directly, of course, these are the disciples. But then he's going to have this direct encounter with, with Peter. And it's fascinating, really, because the Bible says uh, they were troubled, saying it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. You know, sometimes when Jesus is coming to give you some aid, you don't even recognize it's him in the first place. They didn't. But straightway, Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And sometimes, I think, uh, not only do we realize that nobody's immune from fear, but sometimes the words of Christ are not sufficient to get us out of the funk we're in. Because this is God speaking directly. And uh, it's not sufficient because everybody else still kind of doing a, a, taking a step back. And then we see, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. One of the greatest encouragements that I get from that prayer is that many times our prayers are filled with doubt, but it doesn't mean they don't get answered. You ever pray lacking faith? Oh, come on. Just me? The times when you pray and you, you know, I, well, I know he can. I'm just not sure he will. And I, I know he's done for others. I'm, not just, I'm just not sure that he will do for me. And sometimes that's fear wrapped up in our prayer. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And we are very far into this series. And so uh, I, I just want to review very quickly. First of all, fear is concerning. By that, I mean it grabs your attention. doesn't matter who you are. It is typically whatever that one thing is, it's the one thing you can't stop thinking about. It doesn't matter what it is. And again, we went through a list this morning, but if it's your health, You've thought about it a multiple, multitude of times today. If it's your finances, you got up and the first thought that came to your mind this morning was your finances. If it's relationships, failed marriages, wayward children, health scares, it doesn't matter what it is, it's been present. And it's that giant that continues to get there. And by the way, sometimes we craft that giant, we make him bigger than he ought to be. But fear is very concerning. It arrests our attention uh, the second thing that we mentioned was that fear is conflicting, and that is it directs our focus. It steals our attention, and it, it causes us to be kind of in a quagmire. We're, we're not able to function because that one thing causes great conflict. Then that leads to fear controlling. People who are fearful do some of the craziest things. They do things sometimes without even thinking. Sometimes, oftentimes, they'll make foolish decisions because they're plagued by fear. It controls their decisions. We use the example of Jonah. Jonah was a man of God. He was a prophet of God. God said, go to Nineveh. He said, no. By the way, God, uh, I, I read an article years ago, and the title of the article was, God has a fish with your name on it. And it was based on this particular story, of course, the prophet Jonah. Jonah swallowed by a whale and spending... <laughs> three days in the belly of the well. Jonah was forever changed by that experience. And I'm not, I don't mean that tongue in cheek. I mean, by most accounts, his body was, 
was racked and he would bear the marks of that. His skin would have undoubtedly been affected and he would have been ghastly in his appearance for a little bit of time. Can you imagine being thrown up onto the beach by a whale? And I'll just kind of leave it at that, enough to the imagination. But Jonah made a bad decision because fear controlled the decision that he made. He rose up and fled from the presence of the Lord. And many times people make bad decisions when they are fearful. So fear is controlling. And then the fourth thing we said about fear is it's crippling. It's crippling. Uh, it's the, the analogy of the young man who's standing on the edge of a high dive, and he's not sure whether he's got the courage to go ahead and jump in, and fear cripples you. It leaves you almost still because you just don't know what to do. That's what fear is. And again, in our series, Fear, Faith, and God, so if you've not been here for those, and someone might think, hey, just let me know when you're reviewing, and that's the service I'll come to, and I can skip all that. Um, Don't even think such a thing. The second thought is our faith. And the first thing that we see about faith, it is is conceding. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ." which strengtheneth me. David said in the psalm, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. And that is, you've got to get to the place where you realize I can't do this alone. And I don't know what this is. But whatever you're facing, you're no match for it. David steps out to face Goliath on the Valley of Elah, picks up five smooth stones, but he wasn't relying upon his stones or his skill with the sling or the accuracy of his aim. By the way, he had really, I know he had five stones, but he really had one shot. I'm not sure Goliath was going to sit here and, you know, play mist and go back and forth. And uh, as we think about that episode, that encounter as it occurred, he really probably had one good shot. And it was the one that mattered. It was the one that counted. But faith is conceding when he steps on that day and he there in Saul's tent. And he, of course, he's coming. He's bringing bread and cheese to his brethren and his brethren are aggravated with him. And they said that they knew what his heart was like. And he basically rebuked them sternly. And he said, is there not a cause? He said, how are you going to let this guy defy the armies of God or to, to blaspheme God, call him into question? And then finally, he pretty much sums it up by saying, you know, God's going to deliver me. I mean, what confidence. I I killed a lion. I killed a bear. And that's a good story right there in and of itself. But he says, and so this guy's no match as well. So faith is conceding. So whatever you're facing this morning, whatever that fear is, your best move is to always understand that you have to concede that to the Lord. The second thing is faith is committing. Committing. And that means you're all in with Him. It's easy to do that with salvation because you realize, I've got no hope of eternity apart from God. But whatever it is you're facing, whatever your dilemma, whatever your difficulty, whatever your problem, you have to give it to Him. We don't like to do that because we like to keep our hands on the reins. It's one of the reasons why I sometimes use the analogy. I think many times Christians trust Christ as their Savior and they say, okay, I'm good, I'll see you in heaven. And they really live that way. Now, they never say that to God. They never express it that way. But I guarantee the average person in here probably, if you profess Jesus Christ as your Savior, I hope you do. I I don't know anybody's heart, but as I said earlier, it's the one thing in life about which you cannot be mistaken. So you must be born again. It's not because I said it, it's because God said it. You cannot be wrong about eternity. There's no middle ground. There's not heaven and hell and then everybody else gets stuck in the middle. There's heaven, there's hell, period. And you have one choice for eternity, and that's to choose wisely. Trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
I trust him to get me to heaven, but why do I express such reluctance to commit to him everything else? Why do I want to trust him for my occupation, for my future, for my health, for my retirement? Why, let me just go ahead and live my life and run it as I see fit. And when I get in a spot, then I'll ask him to bail me out. That, unfortunately, is how the average person lives. We want God's help and favor. If I ask you today, do you want God's help? Well, sure. Do you want his favor? Absolutely. Do you want his blessing? Of course I do. But really, in so much as it's needed. In other words, we say to God, I've got this, and God replies to you, wait just a second, I've got you. I've got this. And so faith is conceding, faith is committing. Thirdly, faith is confiding. Confiding, and I I love this passage. We shared it last week on, on Sunday evening. Faith is confiding. That is, not only are you committing to him, you're letting him have it all. And I, I love the verse, Isaiah 41, 10, fear thou not, what a way to start. God says it again from the beginning. I told you, don't be afraid. Okay, okay. How many times do you tell your children something and they continue to do it? Don't do this. Don't touch this. You think you just have to tell them one time. Boy, they picked up right away. That child never disobeyed again. It was amazing. It was a marvel. Really? Now, none of my children have ever done that. Um, maybe yours. But so here's God, fear not. So he says, why? Because I'm, I'm with you. I love this picture because God is saying, don't be afraid, I'm right there beside you. But sometimes that's not enough. You know, it's like uh, you're standing there on the high dive and God says, I'm right here with you. Now that's, that's good, I appreciate it. But for the average person, that's not enough because God goes even further with the prophet here. He says, I'm with you, and I understand that's probably not enough, so be not dismayed. Not only am I with you, but I'm yours. I am thy God. He makes it very personal. That's a personal. He says, I am your God. Because if I asked you today, was God David's God? You'd say, well, yeah, I helped him kill Goliath. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, was he their God? Well, yeah, he took them from the fiery furnace. How about Daniel? Of course he was. He went through the lion's den. Is he yours? Well, I think so. Well, I hope so. Well, I asked him to be. Well, I prayed one time. For the average Christian, that's where we stand. And so this passage is for all of us because he says, listen, he says, don't be afraid because I am with you. And then let me take it a step further. I'm not only with you, I am your God. Yes, Daniels. Yes, Davids. Yes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yes, Noah. Yes, uh, uh, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. Yes, yes. Yes, Paul, when he preached the gospel and was stoned and left for dead. Yes, yes. Yes, Lazarus, when his name, when I called him forth and he rose from the dead. Yes, a thousand times yes. But you got to understand this as a child of God. I'm not just their God. I am your God. You, you got to understand that. See, sometimes we treat God as a distant component. He's an element. Yes, he saved me, but we, say, we stay so far removed from him, we miss it completely with this verse. So he says, fear thou not. Why? I'm with you. Then he takes a step further. Don't be dismayed. I'm yours. Then he says this. Let me keep it going. Why? Because it's not enough that God tells us one time. It never is. That's why he keeps saying it over and over. And again. Have not I told thee? Have not I told thee? I'll tell you again. 
Not only am I with you, standing there at the high dive, I'm yours. And then he takes it a step further. I'm going to give you what you need to go. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to pump you up. You need some air? Here it comes. You need a shot? You need some courage? You need some adrenaline? I'm going to give you exactly what you need. I will strengthen you for the task. Because most of us, we feel that the task is overwhelming to us. We're not going to make it. It's more than we could handle. And so, okay, he's, he's going to be with me. That's good. He's right there. And then he says, but I'm yours. And then he says, and I'm going to strengthen you. And then he says this. He says, in fact, I'll tell you what, I'll help you. Now, sometimes we think that means a push off the high dive. That's the help we got. That's it. Sometimes we feel like God has treated us that way. And it's a big high dive, so we haven't splashed yet. There it is, splash or splat, whatever the case may be. But then he says this. In fact, I'll tell you what. I'm going to hold you. It's like God says, you're right there on the high dive. I'm going to pick you up, put you in my arms, and I'm going to jump off, and I got you the whole way down. Now, that's what God says about your fear and taking on faith. You see, because faith is confiding, it is committing, and it is conceding. God's got this, and He's got you. How about you today? What is it that you have refused or been reluctant to let go and let God have it? I love that verse. In fact, to be honest with you, I've thought about it all week, Isaiah 41.10. I would encourage you to take it, maybe memorize it, maybe make it one of your favorites, but it is, it is consumed me this week. Let me say this first of all, fear, faith, God. Number one, God's got to be your companion. He's got to be somebody that you let go with you. Most of us, we struggle with this one. It's like uh, I was talking with someone this week, and we were talking about reading the Bible and just some simple assignments back and forth. And he, he said to me, he said, I haven't done very well this week. And I'm thinking that's the mantra of every one of us. If I asked you today, most people would say, I didn't do very well this week. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on that. But if I asked you, did you read your Bible this, well, what do you mean, can you define read your Bible? I mean, I, I and I'm not, I'm not trying to give us an out or an excuse, I'm just saying human nature. Well, how much? I mean, I read it when Andy led us. Does that count? For some of us, that might have been a huge reach, huge step. I didn't ask you if you got through the Old Testament this week. I, I didn't ask you that. But you have to be willing to say, as you're standing there with your fear, whether it's the high dive illustration or it's the disciples on the vessel and the winds and the wave and the storm and all that against them, and they were troubled, they were filled with fear. By the way, these were guys who were used to being in a storm on a sea. I mean, most of them were fishermen. It's not like, what do we do? We're in a boat. Waves are blowing. Wind is blowing. Waves are smashing. Rain is pelting us. What do we do? Never seen this before. But this one was one where they were meeting their match. By the way, not only does God have a fish with your name on it, there's always a storm coming that'll be bigger than anything you've ever seen in life. doesn't matter who you are. You might be going through life right now and you think, wow, this is awesome. You ever have those days? Some of you are saying, yeah, I think I did one time. You ever have those times when it looks like, man, everything is, this is just one. I love life. 
And you look at the person next to you, you think, I hate life. Lord, call me home. Even so, Lord, come quickly. And I, like I said, I know I'm going to heaven, but I don't, I, I'm not signing up for the next load. There's a lot of things on my barrel list, my bucket list. But God says, I want to go with you. Do you know what it is? It, it's, it's a flip because usually if you go somewhere, it's the child who says, I want to come. And you don't want to be bothered because you know you'll have to make a stop at Dairy Queen. That's not a bad thing, by the way. Or you'll have to, you know, go here, do this, or, you know, sometimes the child wants to go because they know that dad or grandpa or whoever it might be will always take good care of them. I can remember when I was a boy and my dad was in Vietnam and I I spent an extended portion of the summer (coughs) with my grandparents, my mom's mom and dad. And every time my grandfather would go somewhere, I wanted to get in the truck and go with him. And I didn't care what it was. It didn't matter to me where we were going. If he's going to pick up hay, I wanted to go. If he was going to pick up something for the tractor, I wanted to go. Because there was this general store just down the road that he always stopped. When I was with him, he always stopped. Maybe he stopped every time. I don't know. But he would stop with me. And I can remember going into that place. Now, it was... I drove by it years later after it closed, and you could have probably fit the entire inventory on this stage. But to me, it was like Costco. You know? I mean, really. Back in those days, and I'm dating myself, yes, we pulled up in our horse and buggy. But um, I already said pickup truck, so you know that. But we, we pulled up there. There's only like three spots to park. It's the middle of the country. And we pull up there, and man, and he told me, and there was this huge row in front of the register. They always put the good stuff there in view of the cashier. I wonder why. But nonetheless, there it is. It's all there. And he says, he says, Stuart, he says, go ahead and pick out a couple things there. Of course, everything there was a penny in those days, sometimes a nickel. Nothing cost what it costs now. I mean, really, I remember gas was less than a dollar a gallon. I mean, I, you know, again, I go way back, folks. Some of you are understanding this. But I remember him telling me to pick out a couple things, and you know, I was so thrilled. I thought, I want to go with him because he always takes good care of me. And I did every time we would go. They had this thing, and you you guys probably will have to Google this because you won't believe me. It was called whorehound candy. Now, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. You probably think I I just made it up. How many of you have ever in your life you've heard of whorehound candy? Really? I am shocked. Normally when I mention it, they're like, yeah, you just made that up. You're just pre... No, whorehound candy. Came in these sticks. and It looked like brown sugar, maple kind of thing. And uh, so whorehound candy, he would buy it by the box. It came in a box. It had a lid that would pop up on it. It was a little white box and whorehound candy. And he'd say, I'll take a box of those. And I liked it when he bought those because you didn't get much candy, but whorehound candy was a long stick about... looked like a peppermint stick except it was solid brown. Some of you are Googling it right now. I get, how many of you are Googling it right now? Okay, just as I am. I see that hand. God bless you. But I, but I liked going with him because he always took care of me. Sometimes he'd say, hey, Stuart, I'm going to go get on a tractor. You want to go? And of course, this is back in the days before all the safety regulations. and You got to wear a helmet for everything, you know. Uh, you know, you're walking down the hall, get your helmet. You know, it's, it's kind of, I'm not, I'm not picking on you if you want your children, you know, to be in a bubble and all that kind of thing. But man, we did all that bad stuff, right? 
And I was thinking the other day, we're driving down the road, and I'm looking around. You got your seatbelts on. I can remember sitting in the back seat. Thank you for that testimony. Uh, if I need more, I'll ask. No, I'm kidding. So I'm, I'm sitting on the back seat, and I've got, I've got my arms on the front seat looking at my dad. And uh, I'm looking at the speedometer. He's doing, you know, no, more than that. Uh, this is when we lived in Germany, so we were on the Autobahn. So there's no speed limit. We're driving a 1972 Oldsmobile station wagon. I've got my arms on it. I'm talking to my dad. He's doing like 85, 90 miles an hour. I'm not thinking anything about it. Nowadays, you know, you got strapped and you got bungee straps and you've got all these cables. I can't even get a car seat out of a car anymore. It's like, are you kidding me? I almost had a stroke trying to take my granddaughter's car seat out of the car. I'm thinking this child would not only be safe, they would survive if you dropped this vehicle off a cliff. Now, I'm not recommending you try it, but you understand what I'm saying. So my granddad would say, believe me, I'm going somewhere with this illustration. My granddad would say, come on, get on the tractor. And so I'd sit on the wheel well, very unsafe. I'd sit right there on the wheel well, that old tractor, and ride with my granddad. Now, I was farming, big time. I just wanted to be with him. It didn't matter where he was going, what he was doing, I wanted to go. Now, what God says is that's what I want with you. I want to be your companion. So when you go to that place, whether it's the high rise, high, high dive rather, whether it's the doctor's office, whether it's the visit to Starbucks when you're getting bad news, whether it's the relationship that's failed, doesn't matter what it is. God says, I want to come. I want to go can I go? That's God. You, you, what you're facing right now, God's standing there saying, I went in. You see, he didn't just save you to keep you from hell. He saved you because he wanted to be with you forever. We, we view salvation totally different because we see it as the escape. We see it as the way out. We see it as I will never have to go to hell. And that's true. God says, I saved you to dwell with me forever. And really this life, God gives you a head start on that. He says, I, I don't want you to have to wait for eternity. He said, I want to be your companion now. Now. If I asked you this question, I think the... Um, the sermon, Who's Riding With You, which Andy's heard me preach this message. I, I don't think I've ever preached it here. But it's the idea, the disciples asked Jesus to get in the boat with them after this encounter here. And I think that, that account of it is in, in John. They asked him to get on board. And the moment they did that, everything changed. The Bible says that immediately they were to the shore. So one moment, they're in the midst of a terrible storm. I mean, everything is bad. It's bad news, just constant. It's turmoil. It's trouble. This boat's going down. We're going to sink. We're going to die. Our lives are in jeopardy. And Jesus gets on board and everything changes. That's what happened at salvation. But the sad commentary for the average child of God is we rode with him back to the port, to the dock. For the average Christian, he's never been heard from since. That's sad. Because that's not why he got you off the boat. That's not why he delivered you from the fear 
of eternity in hell. It was so that you could be with Him now and for all eternity. And so God says, I want to be your companion. In Psalm 119, He says, I am a companion of all them that fear Thee and of them that keep Thy precepts. God says, let me ride with you. Who does he say that to? First of all, those that fear him. Do you fear the Lord? I don't mean you're scared. I don't mean you go through life trembling. I think our country, our nation, our culture could use a healthy dose of godly fear. I think uh, the Bible speaks about a culture where it exists, this phrase is found in the Bible, there is no fear of God before their eyes. It's a dangerous thing. We're living in perilous times when that is a mantra today. I don't fear God. You better. Not because He could squash you, not because he, your life is hanging by a mere fiber or thread, but God says that's the beginning of everything. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and God says it all starts there. If you don't fear God, you're, you're not going to make it in life. God says, I run with that crowd. This is, you ever wonder who the crowd is with whom God would run? He says, those that fear me. I hang with them. I'm a companion of those that fear me. And then finally, he says this, and those that do what I say. That's what it means, keep thy precepts. In Psalm 119, you'll find a number of words that are used to describe the Bible, the Word of God. You'll find commandments, you'll find law, you'll find statutes, judgments, precepts. They all point back to the same thing, those that do what the Bible says. So what that means is God says, hey, I've got the answer for your fear. And yes, it is faith, but it involves and engages me as your companion. God says... I want to hang with you. Can you imagine that? I can't imagine the God who spoke the world into existence would want to spend time with me, but he does. And you. You say, you don't know me. No, I I don't. But I know God does. And I don't know what your story is. I don't know what your hurt, what your pain, what your difficulty, what your adversity, what your worry, what your doubt, what your fear. Whatever angst is, is built up within you, whether it's sin, whether you're thinking about your past and you're haunted and you're affected by it and it influences you and it, sometimes it overwhelms you and sometimes it's a memory, sometimes it's trouble, sometimes it's anguish. It could be any of those things, but God says, I- I'm with you. I'm going to strengthen you. In fact, I'm going to help you. And beyond that, I'm going to carry you. But you got to let me. You see, because God never forces himself on anybody. You see, if you're here today and you do not know Christ as your Savior in a personal way, I don't mean you know about God. I don't mean you know there's a heaven, there's a hell, and yeah, I hope I'm going. No, 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 no. I mean you personally have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's step one. God says, I can run with you. I can ride with you. I can hang with you. You're my crowd. You fear me, and you keep my precepts. Let me ask you today, who are you running with? Who's your crowd? You say, are you judging me? No, it's a simple question. I'm picking on anybody. I'm telling you what God said. 
God said, I, I, I knew you before you were ever born. While you were still in the womb, I knew everything about you. God knew that on this date in mid-July 2019, everybody who was going to be here, he knew it already. You might have thought, I just decided last night. Yeah, but God saw it a long time ago. He knew where you were going to sit. He knew who was going to be with you. He knew what songs were going to be sung, what scripture would be read, what stories would be told, what passage would be illustrated. He knew all of those things, and he thought on you. And he said, take me with you. So God whispers to the heart of everyone who's ever drawn a breath, can I come? Can I come? So if you're here this morning, you've never been saved, Jesus says to you, can I save you? It's your only hope. If you're here this morning, you're not sure what this week's going to bring and you're facing it with fear and trepidation, God says, can I come? If you're not sure about tomorrow or next week or next month and you know something is coming down the road and, and you're, you're dreading that moment and you, you're, you're afraid uh, and you're fearful and you're worrisome, God says, take me, take me. But he will never, never force himself upon anyone that's ever drawn a breath. Freely, you invite him to come. First of all, into your heart as your Savior. Secondly, into your life and everything about it. God wants to be your companion. I've often said that I married way up when my wife asked me to marry her. Okay, just seeing if you're still listening. But when I asked her to marry me, and we've been together now 34 plus years. And, but I married way up for me. And I, sometimes I, I say to myself, I can't believe she said yes. Now, the reason I say that is because I've heard her say it many times. <laughs> I can't believe I said yes. What was I thinking? No. Um, see, people talk in their sleep, you know. No, I'm kidding. Come on, know when I'm joking, stay with me. But I look at all of these years that we've been together. And really, I mean, I met her when I was in sixth grade. She was in fifth grade. Many of you have heard this story before. And so we got married when I was in seventh grade. No, I'm kidding. Um, but it was Kentucky. We had to wait till eighth grade. No. Um, all right. I got I to I gotta quit. I got to get back to this. So my wife and I have really been together for a long time. Well over 40 years, we've been kind of together. But that's nothing compared to what God says, I want with you. Some of you are going to leave today the exact same way you came in the doors, heavy, hurting. But when you leave, know this, God's hand went up and said, can I come? Know that when you walk out the door, no different than when you walked in, Jesus was saying, pick me. That'd be the best choice you've ever made. Trust me as your Savior. Let me be your companion for everything in this life. 
Let him be your companion. Shall we stand? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.